welcome to another episode of Forgot My Transmitter. Today's guest is Kyle from Colorado. He is currently locating in the Colorado oil fields. He shares with us a lot of details about what it's like to locate all of that infrastructure. He also shares a lot of other useful information and a few damage stories along the way. So let's get started. Thanks for coming on the show, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little about yourself. I started locating back in 2015. Never never picked up a receiver before. A friend called me up and said she had a had a line on a job, and we rolled into an empty warehouse and started with a startup there, and we hit the ground run, and basically we, we learned for about a week and a half, two weeks before anyone ever gave us a transmitter and as a startup. You know, it had its issues getting going, and then once it started running, and once we got the contract, everybody was just in the field and running and got it gas and electric for about three years with them, and then went to left locating for a little while after about six, seven months to be in a QC tech, and went and did a couple other jobs, explored some options in life, and then came right back to being a locator again, and they put me right back in in my old position and shortly after that they gave me a crew to run and it was running a damage prevention crew and a, a special projects team right. following all the board crews around okay wow yeah I, there's actually quite a few employees that i know of that went and tried something different but then came right back there's just something yeah, about, you know, about it yeah yeah i uh when i was working for a glass company my lead he let me one day because I was talking about locating so much. He said, why don't you just go back and do it again? And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should. So what was it like at a startup? Like, how did you get, to, how did they get contracts or was it privates? Or can you explain on that a bit? So I know that we had taken a contract from another locating company. They had a high, I believe it was too high of a damage rating and Contract was looking around, and this company picked them up. And we, next thing you know, it's just 16, 20 people in in this shop, and we're running and gunning. Most of us were new or never located before, and we did have some veterans come in and getting good techs that were a part of that contract prior to losing it, and the ones that had the had the reputation with the customer. Yeah. And they brought them over and they put them either in a lead role or a training role or management role. And everybody just started getting their areas under control. And one thing after another, one ticket at a time. And next thing you know, we're running and gunning. Right. Yeah, that's good that you had some previous employees who were doing that utility that you're able to. Yeah, especially helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So is that startup still operational? Uh, they are. They're. I believe they just got their contract renewed again. I believe they've renewed it a few different times, but they stayed with just the gas and electric for that for that provider, and they've been going. I know last year and year before last were a little rough on them, and this year is no better. You know, everybody's still finally seems like we're breaking the routine of getting people back out of the houses and people that want to work were always working, of course, and never stopped and. Yeah, it seemed like it was a little hard to get people off the couch and into the field there for a while. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So, what are you doing right now? What are you locating right now? 
Right now, I, I'm still locating. For, well, I locate gas and electric, but it just depends on the situation. But I locate for an oil and gas company, midstream mostly, and then production facilities. So basically from the wellheads to the tank batteries and then follow it all the way around with whatever gathering system that they have, whether it be oil, gas, water, condensate. And then we got some water lines that we follow around too. And then electric and fiber inside of uh, the tank batteries, automation, stainless and Pretty much everything that would go into an oil oil and gas battery, it's a challenging new learning experience, that's for sure. But a year and a half, almost two years on that now, and definitely learning something new every day with this one. Yeah, because that's not your typical utility, right? Every oil field is no, a little, it, little different. It, it really is. Everything's different about it from, well, no two batteries will run the same. You know, when it comes to the gathering lines, you know, those are... They, they either locate or they don't. Most of the time they locate just fine. And, you know, you can hook up and chase a signal and go to a spot six miles away from your hookup and you still got a great tone on it. Uh, as for being in the batteries, that just, it's hit or miss to say the least. You know, when it comes to electric and automation, if there's no tracer wire, we do what we can to get a tone on it. And if it locates, it locates. If it doesn't, make note to the contractor, let them know what's going on. and What's nice about it on this side is that every one of our utilities, every line, and now it needs to be handy, it needs to be pothole verified, uh, depending on the location in the area. Yeah. So that's in Colorado? Yeah, up in northeastern Colorado. Okay. How big are these oil fields? Oil field's pretty big out here. We've got, we're, I mean, we're not Texas oil field by any means, but we no. run the DJ Basin, and it's it's a pretty big area. You know, to say the least, um, depending on the customer. I mean, we've got oil and gas all over, but depending on who owns or who bought or who sold or who acquired new material or new utilities, you know, it just really just depends. But it's it's ever changing, that's for sure. Yeah. So you locate for one of the larger companies there? Yes. Okay. Is it for contractors who are working on the in the fields? So I work for, I, I'm contracted to this customer. We would technically still be a third party contract. And basically it's it's a foot in the door. And it seems like all the employees that are with that customer now in this field, they all came from the company I'm with or not. So it's, it's one more step closer to being an in-house position. Oh, okay. I see. Right. So is there anything that you'd like to share specifically about oil gas, that if someone's going into that locating, what's something that they can know? Uh, the willingness to learn. You can take everything that you've learned and apply it to and can find out there's so much more. When I first started locating, we were told that, you know, it's abandoned facilities are not locatable. We don't even... And if you look at municipal gas lines, yeah, they leave them in the ground, let them sit there. You might bleed off onto them, but for the most part, if it's an abandoned line, it's located here. Our abandoned lines, our cut and cap lines, we still treat them as if they're alive and, you know, and relocate them as if they're alive, whether that be a direct connection from a test lead or just walking through a field and doing a passive sweep. 
and finding a place to drop box and then chasing down that tone and, you know, 40, 60 feet at a time. However, yeah, reduce that line. And I've had some that'll induce for days and some you can't even get, but 20, 30 feet at a time before you got to move again. And it's been definitely pretty interesting, but as it comes to, if you get into the oil and gas side on the production standpoint, you know, it's definitely more team driven. And if you're not willing to help your team and help your contractors, then you might want to think about staying where you're at because it's a very much more demanding role, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're doing the abandoned stuff. That's one thing that I'm dealing with right now. I'm I'm on this big pipeline project where they installed a new pipeline, but there's two old ones that they're pulling out. But unfortunately, they're still on the prints as live, live lines. Right. So I still got to locate them, but they already shut off power mode, so I can't do that. And they're pulling sections out, so it's you know, I'm running into the same problems you are, that you got to drop the box here and there to figure out exactly where they went. Absolutely. And it's just one of those things that, you know, you you, you know enough to get going and you pick up more every day. And I, I know we've all heard it and said it a million times and hopefully we keep on saying it, but you learn something new every day. So it, it, it really depends on the area too. And I mean, you can get comfortable in one area and then move to another area and you have a bunch of polyvinyl lines that you're sweeping for marker balls. Okay. You know, and you might find one every 15 feet or you may not. And it's, it's just one of those things that you got to go a lot of history goes into it too. I mean, there's, if you move out of an area, expect the new area holder to be calling you and asking you questions about what's been removed and what's still in place, what's going on here with this location. And, you know, I find myself calling calling an old area holder almost daily and asking them if they have any insight on what's what's going on in this area or this stretch of road and out in the middle of this field. What type of documentation, like maps or prints, do you have to work with? We got a lot of maps to work off of, new and old. The mapping, everything is on the computer. We do have it sent over on our phone now, too, to where you can pull up your prints off the line. Of course, you know, prints are just a guide. Yeah. just for everything else but we do got a lot of documentation and when it comes to our stuff you know everything has to be documented thoroughly through and through again i feel like there's a lot of times we spend more time documenting and duplicating yeah that's right do your do your prints have the date that stuff was installed a lot of the times yes it just depends on what type of line we're looking into or if it was a purchase line, it might have a little less information than one that was installed recently. But for the most part, everything's going to have uh, the class, size, type, material, and hopefully install date. But it really just depends on, again, whether or not that was a purchase line or one that was installed by the customer. Right. So I found just, just having the date, like once you get to know what type of materials were installed during that decade, then it really helps you to, to understand, okay, this is a 1930 installation site. I'm not dealing with plastic, that type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And with the, with the oil and gas side, it's been a complete different switch as to just regular municipal 
you know, we look at gas in this area. And I remember there was one time we potholed the line and we weren't sure if it was gas or electric because it was an orange polyvinyl. And while we come to the conclusion, we had tracer on the outside. And if there's tracer on the outside, it's orange plastic. It's going to more likely be a gas line. And and then we have to assume that communication and go from there. But when it comes to the oil and gas side of it, the date of the install really does help a lot. Typically for coding to identify potential issues. Uh, for instance, if this line is the air and we are pulling on it, basically just a squirt gun on it. You know, don't we don't want to do anything to cause any damage to the integrity of the pipe. And if there's any damage identified, then we excavate around it and get it wrapped and chase it down until it stops. Keep it going. Right. Uh, do you have any damage stories you'd like to share? Uh, I do have some stories. I've had three gas damages in my years. The first one technically wasn't a damage. We thought it was at first, but they were running a bore piping in a new gas service. And I had marked the service coming straight off the meter. It's actually a retaining wall that we didn't realize had they had wrapped around it. And if I had pulled a service card on it, I would have seen that it didn't locate the way I had run it. Luckily, when they were running up to it, they only hit a concrete riser and it got everybody on location saw what I had done wrong, figured out that I was following the tone off of my ground rod. And that was within the first six months of being a locator, if I remember correctly. And then after that, tightened everything up. And I went my first year without having an at-fault damage. And I think like like a lot of other locators walked around like I was perfect and yeah. I could do no wrong. And I went to go do a water service replacement ticket and it was a front lot locate marked it out marked the main left there feeling perfectly fine and happy and then about four days later i got a damage notification and i thought oh that address sounds familiar pulled it up on the maps and i was like oh i just did this one oh and I'm, I'm driving over there and i'm like there's no way this is my fault i marked it you know i'm I can't do no wrong. I marked it. Right. The contractor walks up and he says, it wasn't marked. And I literally looked at him and said, yeah, it was. I marked it. And then I get over there and I see where my marks were and I see where the pipe was. And it it wasn't marked, but that was because the trace was off on it too. So it was kind of a hit or miss, more of a hit than a miss. Right. But that one, I believe, ended up becoming my fault. And that put an end to my streak there. And definitely a humbling experience you know and that's a that's a big thing is humility and being humble when you're wrong you're wrong and when you're right you're right but you got to prove that you're right yeah exactly so let's delve a little more deeper into these damages so what could have been done differently like let's try to let's explain to the new guys to avoid these types of things with that one since the tracer wire was a little bit off you know slowing down and understanding how gas is piped and how it runs. If you're finding a curve, you know, chances are if you're following a tracer wire, you know, there's a good chance that you might have a curve around a corner. You might have a curve in a cul-de-sac. But if you're running on a straight service and you find yourself starting to stray, you know, you might be a little bit off or you might be following that tracer there. And the only thing you can really do is 
hook up into another place and see if you can push a signal back up. Typically with what we've seen down here, you know, you can hit your services and get you to the main and it's either going to locate the main one direction or not at all. Yeah. And you'll have to go and hook up in multiple places, but hooking up, always hooking up and hooking up in different places and just making sure you're right before you walk away. You know, that's the biggest thing is leaving no doubt for yourself as you're walking through. And even if there is no doubt when you're finished, you still want to doubt yourself and go prove yourself right. You know, if you're wondering whether or not I marked that service incorrectly or that main incorrectly, you know, before you leave location, go grab a couple of different connections and follow out your tones, dot everything on your way and then mark it on your way back. You yeah. Know, you do your sweeps and just be thorough. That's right. Yeah. I, I always do that as well. If this is a bad tone on a service, I'll try to push it up from another service and, and then I'll be able to get up the service little ways. Okay. So there's a broken tracer wire then right there, but then, then I'll call mm -hmm. a supervisor and say, this is what I did. You know, I'll call, call the utility company, get some mapping to verify everything. And it's about being very thorough. That's right. Absolutely. And you can never be too thorough. You know, I've seen it. I've seen people spend a lot of time on a single lot job and they can walk away from that job being comfortable. And I had no problem with the amount of time they've spent out there because the more time they spend out there is the less time we spend out there on a damage. Yeah, exactly. Let's go back to the other damage. The first one you explained. So the signal was going through a steel retaining wall. Is that right? So it was a concrete retaining wall. And when I had grounded out, I grounded out behind the meter instead of doing it at a little bit of a 90 degree angle hooking up and then grounding further away. And instead of sweeping my way around the retaining wall, I jumped in front of the gas service because I had thought that it had maybe gone underneath it or they had put a piece of conduit through it and put the, put the retaining wall. I had assumed that the retaining wall was put in after the gas service. Okay. And apparently, you know, the gas service had been rerouted. So they had, brought it out to the east and then shot it north and then took it back to the west and then shot it north. So they made a little bit of a little bit of a puzzle piece there. And if I had just taken a second and followed out, done another sweep on it, I'm pretty sure I would have got it to locate as it was actually running instead of what I thought it was running. Which is a big thing too, because once you start seeing how it runs, you assume that everything is going to run this way and everything is going to run straight out, but really just depends on the crew that was doing the install that day or the obstacles they had to face because like locating, they're going to take the path of least resistance as well. And yeah. they're not going to pipe it straight through a wall. No, no, but yeah, that's true. Your confirmation bias kicks in sometimes, right? Where you think, okay, Absolutely. this whole street, it just goes straight out. So this must be it. Cause it's going straight out, even though it's not a, it's not a decent signal. And they didn't do your sweep. Yeah. And what what was hard about that one is at first I realized the the not so good of the signal was just picking up the bleed off from my ground rod and picking up my machine. And, you know, I did walk right into the service, but I walked into the service after all the turns that it had made. Right. So a couple of, couple of 90s later, and I was in the spot where it was supposed to be, 
but I just didn't catch it wrapping around this retaining wall. Right. Wow. Huh. And then I got one more damage. That the last gas damage I had was as a supervisor and a QC role because I was the QC manager and special teams manager. And one of my QC techs, he couldn't get a service line to light up. And I was looking at the notes on the ticket and it said, just for the service. And I had assumed I should have called my guy, but going off the notes on the ticket, there was only one service in conflict with what the stretch looked like. Luckily, the area was pre-marked and that's what I was following with the pre-marks that were in conflict with the service that was close by. Unbeknownst to me, and I should have paid more attention to my surroundings because I even got a picture of a pre-mark that was about 500 feet to the west. You could barely see it. You had to zoom all the way in. And we looked at the pictures and we could confirm that that was the flag that we were finding on site. So a bore was coming in. They were going to be shooting a new new fiber line and then running off some services to the house. And there was two neighboring houses there. I grabbed one of the services and I didn't even to mark the second one because I was following the pre-marks that were on site. And then when you get to the end of the driveway and you look over to the west, halfway through their lot, a few hundred feet away, you'd see there was a flag there, just one single solitary flag. And apparently they were coming through a different direction than what I had read on the ticket. And I didn't look at past tickets in the area and they hit the service. And I guess that was actually the service that they wanted marked. It turned out I marked one service that was in conflict and left the other. Oh, okay. Wow. Was that in the heat of the dig season? We're just going fast at it? It was, you know, especially with having a crew to look after. I had a dig season. You've got 20 tickets to run and then 15, 20 QCs to go take a look after on top of paperwork and conference calls and everything else coming your way. You know, it was just trying to be as fast as possible and being fast will is that double-edged sword you know it's good to be fast but it's even better to be thorough that's right what's the most expensive damage you've you've heard of in your area so they were doing some fiber and new fiber installing in town of fort collins and luckily my company we didn't have anything to do with this one but the communications company had missed missed the locator clear to locate and they came through and they hit some level three and they knocked out communications, dispatch, they knocked out all EMS, dispatch, uh, and communications line to a jail that was right here on the corner. And if I remember correctly, they were fined $2,500 for every hour that they were down on top of the repair. And I believe that one got upwards of 200000 Wow. So what is a level three? Just explain that. What are the different levels? So that one I'm not too familiar with. I've heard level three, level two, and level one. I believe level one is just regular everyday municipal, and just the higher up it goes, the more importance it would be in the area. Level three being trunk lines, communications, EMS, but that one I'm not 100% familiar with since I never really had to work with it on that side, which I think level three has their own locating department that goes and takes care of those facilities for them. Right. 
but again, I think it just depends on the area too. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's an expensive one. Yeah, definitely. And just, you know, expensive and scary because you knock out knock out emergency dispatch and people are trying to call nine one one, you know, there's a lot going on there. And it's like knocking out power at a hospital. It's just something you don't want to do. Yeah, you hope they have some redundancy, so like a backup or whatnot, but yeah, it's pretty scary. Yeah, and from what I heard that during that one, they actually knocked out the backup while they were trying to take care of fixing the initial problem, and they knocked out the backup while they were doing it. Oh, wow. Huh. I'm sure that company has, doesn't have a good track record. It's a, a well-known company with a not-so-good track record, let's say right. that. yeah. Yeah, there's always at least one or two companies in the area that just, they hit everything all the time, constant. Yeah. They must factor it into their quotation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on that note, I've seen good companies and I've seen bad companies and I've seen companies that know the know, know the locating laws better than we do and they play off of them and they use the system and yeah. things like they always end up winning. Yeah, yeah, there's some big companies with big lawyers, and they just come at you hard. So have you had any encounters then with contractors or homeowners? Contractors, homeowners, animals, they they never stop. When I was doing when I was doing municipal locating, it seemed like it was a daily thing that I was going into someone's yard that either called in for the ticket themselves or a landscaper had called in or the contractor had called in. And it seems like even people that are calling in locators themselves don't know why we're there. That's right. And yeah. you always get someone asking you, what are you doing? Yeah. Whether it be the homeowner or someone that lives six streets down. Yeah. And it used to be something that used to get me real hot under my collar really fast. And I know I broke myself of that habit and just take a second and breathe and explain the situation because you never know who you're talking to. And the person that you're yelling at one day might be your employer the next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Back when I first started, I first few weeks in locating, I went to help another locator up in a mountain community for a road grading ticket. And, you know, we were, both him and I were so new to it that we wanted to make sure we did everything right. And now we've gotten it down to where routine road maintenance in the area, you know, depending on the customer and depending on what they want, those tickets can be just cleared out. But back then, again, we were so new, we were literally hiking up and down this mountain and grabbing services from the meter all the way to the T. And I walked up into Walked up into a property, made my presence known, no answer, no answer, found the meter, hooked up, and next thing I know was I'm standing up, I hear a shotgun racking behind me. Wow. And what are you doing on my lawn? Or what are you doing on my property? Yeah. You know, I'm just marking your gas main. And, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, knock, knock twice, make your presence known. That's the big, big thing, especially if you're out in a rural area. Yeah, You never know who's watching you and what they're watching you with. That's right. No, they're not used to people coming up to their property. Yeah. I told my wife I want to move out somewhere where if someone's knocking at our door at 9 o'clock in the evening, 
chances are if we don't know they're coming, they're not supposed to be there. That's right. Yeah. So, what keeps you going every day? What keeps me going every day? Yeah. You know, I honestly, I enjoy locating, especially now that I'm back in this role that I'm in. And it just, I like helping people and I like helping people and them not even knowing I'm helping them more than anything. I always wanted to join the military and never had the opportunity due to a few spinal fusions. And this is just the closest I can come to being, being a hero, being a lifesaver. And most of the time, like I said, people don't even know that I'm there. And right. that just that just makes it awesome, you know. We're we're our own breed of superheroes, to say the least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you have any advice for new locators? Give it six months, you'll be good. Give it a year, and you'll be great. Yeah, that's it's right. going to be overwhelming. It's going to be tough. It's going to be stressful. But just CYA, cover yourself, cover your bases, check your prints, and when you get out of the truck, walk with a purpose. Know what you're getting yourself into when you're going to that ticket. Check your prints. Check your prints again. Make sure you know what materials you're running into. Make sure you know about your transitions. If you're coming up with an issue, refer back to your prints. Hook up in a different spot. Don't stop hooking up. That's the big thing is something that's going to get you a tone in one place may not get you a tone somewhere else. And I've been to several QCs where someone can't get a section of main to locate and, you know, it's either two different materials that they've piped together or sleeved. Yeah. And it just, you never really know what you're going to run into. And if you just call it quits on day one, you're never really going to know what you're capable of finding. No. Yeah, that's so true. That's what I always tell everybody as well. Just hook on to everything tone out everything until you figure it out absolutely and if you're having trouble finding <laughs> finding someone's utility maybe hook onto someone else's utility and you could probably bleed over to it yeah just try it right what have you got to lose just give it a shot you're already there you might as well try everything yep yeah you're gonna learn something along the way yeah so you're a supervisor now is that is that right no, I stepped away from the supervisor role. I was pulled into another contract from the company I'm with now, and they sent me into a mountain town called Steamboat, Colorado. And we had taken that contract and we reduced damages over 300% and had a, had a rough couple of summers up there, but it worked out pretty well for us. And when a position opened up down here closer to home, you know, it be it was no longer a four-hour commute for me to get there. You know, we would, I'd come home on the weekends and work throughout the week. And the wife said, you know, it's time. You need to come home or find something different. Yeah. Position opened up here on this side with this contract and been here ever since. Okay. it's a good move. Yeah, I just have a few final questions here. Sure. What do you think of witching? You probably, you actually probably use that quite a bit in the oil field. So in the oil field, not so much. Actually, really? it's the least amount. Yeah, and it's still just like anything else. It's a tool. Yeah. I've seen it be right, and I've seen it be wrong. Yeah. You know, And on my side, I just watched, I was just telling one of my other locators the other day, I watched a water locator, which about 2,400 feet of his line, going all the way down the road. And I'm sure he's right, because you know how water is. Yeah. And sometimes that's the only option that they have 
and especially some like old wooden water line, you don't have much choice. How it works, I don't know. You know, I've I've tried to figure it out for myself. I've had I've had bosses in our weekly meetings, you know, throw a pin on the ground and say, I can witch this pin and sure enough, you know, they can get it to turn. Personally, I think witching is all about mentality and mental strength and understanding of what's going on. And it's, I mean, I myself even explaining witching to new people and showing them how it works, you know, I can walk across the right away and not get a single hit. Right. And then turn around and think about the utility and focus on the utility I'm looking for. And it just turns, turns, turns. And we turn around and drop the box and verify marks. And we're either dead nuts right on top of it or we're within a couple of feet of it. Yeah. And it really, really just depends. Would I ever trust it solely? Absolutely not. No. I would say, you know, it's a tool, not one to base a full hearted decision off of. But I mean, I've seen, I had went to with the guy that cameras were actually rolling on this one. We had the news was on location and nobody could find how to get this line to locate. And as soon as the cameras panned away, he pulled out a witch stick and did his thing and dropped his box where he thought it needed to be. And sure enough, he found it and they were able to get the gas turned off. Wow. So, I mean, it can be good and it can be bad, but it definitely doesn't need to be your only tool in the arsenal. No, no, no. But I I think it is definitely mental. There is some mental connection that you have to make. Like it is the water guys who use it the most frequently that I've heard of. And I think they have that strong connection with that water line, like just understanding of being able to, to find it through witching. Absolutely. And I really do. I fullheartedly believe, you know, if you're going into it with a cloudy mind, you're not going to find anything. And I mean, I've seen contractors they didn't trust my marks and he goes and starts trying to witch on top of my marks. And he's like, I'm not getting anything. Right. And I stand there right there and be like, well, I'm glad you're not getting anything witching because I'm getting a great tone, great depth, great milliamps. It's right here. Yeah. And you need to pothole on this and find it. And sure enough, you know, they pothole and find it and eat their own words. You know, I'd rather you trust my obtained signal over what you're thinking, you know, and, don't don't come at my marks with a witch stick and tell no, me I'm wrong. That's, that's right. Sure. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a joke. Oh, wow. <laughs> when was the last time you forgot your transmitter? Transmitter, it's been a couple of years. I was running in another mountain town called Estes Park, Colorado, and I had left my box. And I walked up, dropped it, walked away, did the locate, did the paperwork, drove home hour and a half my wife and i actually went back up into that town that evening and left it all day long and this was a pipe horn transmitter okay. and i had left that sitting there and we actually drove by it after get with the wife get in the car drive back up the mountains i showed her the locate i was just on i don't know why but i'm pretty sure every locator can walk walk by their wife and say yeah <laughs> i showed you this i marked this today yeah i did that today and, with the kids and, we were biking i was like oh yeah i put that paint on i put that paint there yeah that, that's my flag that's my that's paint right. i did that i did that yeah and you know same thing i was telling the wife i was like oh that's this is where i was just a couple hours ago and then come monday 
I went and opened up the truck and, oh, where the hell is it? And then it just dawned on me. And I called my locator that was up in that area and asked her to run over and see if she could find it. She picked it up for me and I met up with her and grabbed it. And that was the one of definitely, I think, would be the last time I'd forgotten it. I've forgotten it plenty of times to say the least. But now I've graduated to forgetting my ground rod more than anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think the the best time I... I'd say the best, but the best story I have for forgetting my transmitter was I was working in a town called Niwot, and my at the time he called me up and informed me of a damage. Gas is blowing. We need to get someone out there, and I was about an hour and a half away from that location. So I just grabbed everything, got in the truck, and ran, and I got out to the location and went to go hook up onto an adjacent service, and no transmitter. Gas is blowing, no transmitter, and my oh, transmitter is over an hour away. Called yeah. him up and seen where he was at, and he was only 10 minutes out. So luckily, he had his with him. Yeah. And yeah, that was probably the most sobering and embarrassing forget my transmitter experiences yet. Yeah, or when you have to ask the utility company, like sometimes the gas guys will have one in their truck. Or yeah, he goes, oh, can I borrow your your transmitter? Yeah. Luckily, I haven't had to do that one because I forgot mine, but I did have a, another contractor that was on location that let us use his transmitter because we had a multiple line right away, and it just made it that much easier because I had help with me and borrowed this transmitter, your transmitter, my transmitter, and we got three different frequencies running. You know, we turned an eight-hour project into a three-hour project, so that was really nice. Oh, yeah, if you got multiple transmitters on a big project you can just go up go up back and forth up and down the road absolutely mark it both ways. yeah 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 absolutely mark one out switch frequency mark it out switch over and then go change your hookups and you're good to go yeah yeah how tangled are your leads so that's one of my biggest pet peeves is yeah. having tangled leads my leads that i've been using now i've been using these same set for almost two years and what i do is i run a jacob's ladder so I'll tie them up, and if you're familiar with the ladder, you just pull it, and they all unravel. So I leave it hooked up to the transmitter, start tying the ladder out, disconnect everything, set them in their spot, and then when I go to hook back up again, you know, I just unravel, and we're good to go. So okay. my leads, these days, my leads stay pretty untangled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they just last longer when they're, they're not all tangled up. It it definitely, like I said, it's become a pet peeve of mine. And, you know, like I'll, there'll be times when I'm on a locate and I have to hit multiple hookups on a battery, you know, and I don't tie them up every time I disconnect. But when I'm leaving, they get tied up. And when, you know, I'm walking around a facility, I try to keep them from, but they, they have a way of just tangling and nodding and you can have both leads in your hand and positive and negative and you get down and you're going to your hookup and it's just a rat's nest behind you and you have no idea how that even happened because you're holding both of them you know and it just takes time to untangle them man we, yeah the time is something that we all don't really have in this industry and we don't have time for wasted steps we don't have time for untangling leads so just try to keep them as clean and keep them wrapped up do whatever you have to do and make each step worth it. Yeah, when you're doing a whole street of services, 
by the end of the street, they could be tangled up. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what equipment do you use? Have you used quite a variety over the years? I started with an RD, I believe it was an RD 800 and then Vivax, pipe horn back to the RD, RD and pipe horn, Vivax and pipe horn. And out of everything, I'm I'm liking the Vivax more than anything. It seems like I think I can induce a lot better with a Vivax than I can a pipe horn nowadays. Oh, really? And yeah, even with the one that I'm running right now, I can do induction on you know eight, five, twelve, thirty-three, sixty-five, two hundred. And I mean, with the pipe horn, you just got the higher the low, and you can really. I, I never thought I'd say I can isolate a lot better at times in doing induction than hooking up in some instances, you know, especially with running now when we're running out a right away, you know, these lines, they're within feet of each other and there can be anywhere from, you know, two or three to 15 lines within two feet of each other wow. and you can literally drop box, could see and grab each one and dot it out, mark it back, move over a foot to the next and get the other one and have minimal bleed off and then go and hook up at either the wellheads or at production and you're bleeding all over each other. Right. Yeah. So do you think that it's just because it has a really narrow shot like on the what the electromagnetic frequency that's shooting out for the induction? I think so. It's definitely not so broad, especially when you narrow down and change frequencies. Of course, you know, if you run it on 200 or 65, you're going to have that real broad, broad signal and it's grabbing onto whatever it wants. And, you know, you don't really have any way of knowing what you're locating until you follow the source or the origin. And once you get everything narrowed in and fine tuned and you can see what you're actually on, it just makes a better picture. You know, granted, just going out in the middle of a field and being the only utility running through that field, you know, you have a little bit of a little bit of a leeway. Yeah. And I've noticed with <clears throat> I've noticed with mine, I can line up with a marker post and I can drop pretty close to it and, you know, take your 20, 30 feet away from your box and start picking up your tone and you get away from that air gap and you kind of narrow it down and you're able to put some dots down. And once you get something discernible, grab your box and put on your dots and sure enough you're lined right up with where you need to be so what frequency do you start with i usually start with eight eight one nine yeah but with the the vivax you know one one seven has been amazing i really enjoy one one seven five twelve eight four four but you know if you're starting out and you're a newer guy five twelve eight one nine yeah run them yeah yeah, I like the off signals in case there's someone else nearby. Yeah, and that's been huge too because you never know who's hooked up a half mile down the road. And I've countless times before I've figured out other signals, you know, everybody's running on the same tone, same frequency, and we're all locating the same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest to you at that time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But and like you said, you get out there and you see there's already three locators on site. Well, I know chances are none of you are going to be having this frequency or using it, so I'm going to run it. And yeah, do you have any other comments you'd like to add? Treat people with respect. Treat the land and the area with respect. You know, leave it 
leave it. If you're hunting and fishing, leave an area like you would want to leave your front yard. It sucks having to paint up people's property. Don't paint landscaping. Try to try to not paint landscaping and put big old streaks of paint across someone's decorative rock. I'm not talking like, you know, the little river rock. You know, we got to we have to leave paint on site. But if someone's got gigantic boulders in their front yard, yeah. don't put a streak of solvent-based paint running from end to end on that rock. No. And same with stained driveways. You know, a lot of people have really nice nice driveways and they pride themselves on their yards and their lawns and that's what gets homeowners pretty miffed is having a big old streak of paint going across their driveway you know we had one contracting one bore company that they fight us too and they actually have no choice but to put paint in the middle of a driveway and i had always been taught you know solid mark on either side of the driveway and put a dot non-observant for a homeowner as possible but for someone in our position they're going to be able to see that paint they're going to look for it and they're going to know but this contracting company they ended that we started painting driveways and that was that was kind of heartbreaking for me to lose that battle and even my even the contract at the time said yeah no do it or they're going to hit us and if they hit us they're going to win so we went in doubt painted out unfortunately but be smart about what you're painting, make your presence known, check for dogs, you know, don't go some, don't put yourself in a situation you can't get out of. No. And just be, be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. So the utility company, that was part of the contract that you had to put paint down no matter what? With this particular contractor. So this contractor has a a notorious, like they've, this contractor, I've seen them, hit a gas line, know that they're at not at fault and it's going on to the locator. And they've literally pulled every person that they have in the field, brought them to this location where the damage is at, brought all their equipment, brought their rigs, brought their pothole trucks, parked everybody on location, and then turned around and charged for downtime. Wow. Because they have all these people sitting here and they're not working. And when they weren't even working on that project in the first place. They know, you know every single loophole. Wow. They know every loophole and they will use them to their advantage. And that's another thing too. You know, it's fine and dandy being friends with your contractors, but when it comes down to it, when it comes down to a damage, someone that you could have drinks with the night before is going to throw you under the bus the first chance they get. So you need to make sure that you've covered your bases and that you've done everything right every time. Do your sweeps, check your prints and double check yourself before you leave location. Wow. And you and you won't forget your transmitter if you're doing that too. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes, you'll be looking in the back of your truck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing too before you leave. I know I've seen it online everybody makes fun of the cones not being set out in certain companies utilities. Whether you set cones out on your truck or not, get in the habit of 360ing your vehicle. There have been times where I've pulled onto a location and just take off driving and I drove right into a ditch one day you know and didn't know it was in front of me I, I could look up over my steering wheel and I see an access road right there and you know I knew it was there from previous locates but I get in the truck do my paperwork you know 30 minutes later and I'm like okay well there's a road right in front of me I'm gonna 
drive forward and you drive right into a ditch or, you know, especially summertime, kids are out, dogs are out. You never know if an animal's decided to come take uh, shelter in the shade of your vehicle or if a kid's playing underneath your car, playing behind your truck, yep. you know, before you, before you put it in gear, just leave it, walk around your truck. It takes five seconds yep. and it doesn't take anything to just drive away after that because you know there's nothing in front of you nothing behind you but luckily i've never had the experience and i haven't heard too many experiences but i've seen a lot of videos on the internet where kids are playing in and around the neighborhood and a ups truck had parked ran up and he did his package delivery and he came back out and there's a kid with his head stuck in the wheel well of his truck on a side that he wouldn't have seen if he hadn't walked around his vehicle yeah. And you just, you never know what's going on until you're certain you know what's going on. Yeah, that's right. No, that's, that's good advice. Yeah, I think we got it all here. It's a good. Awesome. Good take. Perfect. Yeah, well, Yeah, thanks. you ever, ever want to chat again, let me know. I do have a lot more stories and homeowner, dog encounters, animals, moose, deer, bear. They're all, they're all fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it'd be no. It was good to hear about the the oil fields. It's always good to hear about a different utility. You know, and something I'd like to—I don't know if we're still recording, but I'd yeah. like to let you know that a lot of people either have a good taste or a bad taste when it comes to the oil field. But keep in mind, you know, unless you work for that particular sector, you're not going to see really the good and the bad. You're only going to see what people want you to see. And being out here in the oil field. Every day I see wellheads get removed that were installed, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, and they go through the process of reclamation and turn that ground back around and, and do a contamination cleanup, make sure there's nothing there. And then within six months, seven months time, you would have never known it was there in the first place. Yeah. So, you no. know, everybody likes to, everybody likes to turn their heat on in the winter and I'm just happy we're able to help. No, that's great. Yeah. No, yeah, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to keep the heat on. So appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for being on the Absolutely. show, Kyle. And, thanks for having me, Dave. You take care, and thank you for getting the show started. It's I think it'll be a big help for a lot of people out there. Yeah, that's the goal. That's for sure. Okay, appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. That concludes today's episode. If you would like to be a guest on this show, please visit ForgotMyTransmitter.com for instructions on how to submit your info. And remember, don't forget your transmitter.